Hi, friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles. And welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai for 32 years. This week I had off, and I went for two days with my wife to Joshua Tree. Have you ever been there? I wanted to see the night sky. It was awesome. And in a few weeks, the superintendent of Joshua Tree National Park is going to be our guest to talk about the amazing desert that lives next door to us. My food for today is actually going to come from my drive home. You've all been, or you have, if you haven't been, you need to be, to visit Hadley's. But I'm going to tell you specifically what you need to get when you go there. Oh, my God. Best thing I ever had. This week, we'll end the show at 8.30 because the Lakers are coming. Alan Sliwa and Michael Thompson are going to be here. I can't wait. 10 o'clock game. Pre-game starting at 8.30. But this week's topic is fascinating. I could not wait to see Steve Paulette to put together this show for this week because it's going to be about the art of the interview. I've been on this radio station for over 10 years now. I can't believe I'm saying that. And every time from Bristol, Connecticut, they would send over this guru, PhD-type teacher, professor, in how to interview people. And I'd either be in surgery or I was in my office. So I've never actually been tutored of how to conduct an interview properly. And so that's why. You and you listen to the Weekend Warrior Show, and I certainly appreciate you doing that for these last 10 plus years. You are listening to someone who's doing it differently because I've never really been taught the right way, if you will. And I've always been fascinated by the guests we've had on. Dick Butkus. Remember when I interviewed Dick Butkus and I said to him, You hit. With such intensity, Dick Butkus, the football player. They didn't have the statistic when you were playing football, but now we call it a forced fumble. You hit people so hard, you knocked the ball out of them more than anybody else. And then I said, Dick Butkus, you know who that reminds me of? You know who you remind me of? He said, who? I said, someone else that I've appreciated in my lifetime, that hit so hard with precision to knock the ball loose. The sculptor, Michelangelo, he hit marble with a hammer and a chisel so hard with such precision. And Dick Butkus, you could hear him pause and say, one of my favorites. Because nobody in the thousands of interviews he's ever had would ask him that. Remember I had Isaiah Thomas, the Hall of Famer, as a guest. 
And he thinks I'm going to ask him all these questions about Magic Johnson, like he's always been asked. But I said to Isaiah Thomas, you took the bus at five in the morning to go to a school an hour and a half from your house. Why'd you do that? And he paused and said, you know, nobody ever asked me that before, but I'm going to tell you, Dr. Clapper, is because I could ride the bus with my mom and see her in the morning and go to a better high school, which meant a lot to her. These are questions that they don't teach you to ask, but I, I'm just an inquisitive person. And when I think back on it, when I think back on today's show and the topic, the topic is clearly we've got two more Laker games. Will LeBron and AD play? You got to think about if they do and if they don't, the ramifications for the playoffs. But I'll be honest with you. Nobody has been there who has the guts to ask LeBron, are you not playing because you still hurt? Or are you not playing because it's better for us to be the seventh seed? Listen to what I heard this week. On the morning show with Keyshawn Johnson, it's a soundbite from Mike Greenberg. He's not asking LeBron the question. He's just saying it because no one's really, I guess, got the guts to ask LeBron to his face. Listen to what Greenberg said. Nothing is more important than playing a game. You have a game. Don't tell me to care about your games if you're telling me you don't. Don't tell me I should get excited about these games if you're telling me you don't. You're not excited. It's more important to raise the banner. Anyone can raise the banner. We came to watch a game. We came to watch you play. You're the best player. Now, again, I don't like doing this when it comes to LeBron because LeBron traditionally has not load managed But at the end of the day, it is just a perfect microcosm of what has gone wrong here. The players have decided the regular season doesn't matter. I mean, those are fighting words. But no one's got the cojones to sit down and ask a player about load management, playoff management. So I started to think, and when I listened to last week's show on the podcast, those great guys growing those grapefruits in Indian River. And I was so proud of myself of the interview I had with Doug Bernicke about grapefruits. And I thought back in my lifetime, who has inspired me to be an interviewer, to ask the right questions in the world of sports and in the world of art? Well, in the world of art, nobody did it better in my lifetime than Barbara Walters. Yep. A woman, she could ask the tough questions. Listen to some of the questions. And I'm talking, she's asking Obama, Vladimir Putin, Angelina Jolie. She is not afraid of anybody nor to ask the tough questions. How inspiring she was. What a trailblazer she was. In the world of sports, wait till you hear the sound bites I have of Vin Scully talking to Sandy Koufax and also calling that game. The accuracy, the longevity that Vin Scully has had, that Barbara Walters had. That's why you can do it for so many years when you learn the art of the interview. This is Barbara Walters, just sound bites of her. She is one tough lady. 
What's the biggest misconception about you? Are you comfortable with yourself? What keeps you up at night? Do you ever second guess? Did you ever order anyone killed? How could you stay in this marriage? Why did you kill John Lennon? Do you believe there is a place called hell? Are you girl crazy? Will you tell me all about your first sexual experience? Who handles men the best? What do you think it means to be? Mm. Sexy. Are you bisexual? Can we talk a little bit about women? Do you have a boyfriend? Are you a diva? Do you think about marriage? Do you know much about foreign policy? Are you crazy in love? How do you know you won't marry again? Do you like being a father? What will you tell your children? Do you like being famous? Do you have a philosophy by which you live? You want to know Mike Greenberg who would have the cojones to ask those tough questions? Barbara Walters would have those. How did it all begin with this tough woman? who's not afraid of anybody. Listen to her story. Describe your childhood. My childhood. I guess the word that comes to my mind is lonely, and I'm not sure why. My father uh, was in show business. He, he owned and operated nightclubs. They were called the Latin Quarter. There was one in Boston, there was one in New York, there was one in Florida. So we moved around a lot. I went to three different high schools in my four years of high school. Hmm. What did you learn about celebrities from that experience? I learned from seeing celebrities that they could bleed, that they had a dark side, that they had children they didn't see, or, or divorces, or lack of relationship. I learned that celebrities were human beings. It has made my life, in terms of interviewing celebrities, very different. And I have never thought of a celebrity as someone so um, perfect and wonderful that, that I should be put off. What's fascinating is to ask her, of all those years and the tough interviews you've had, which ones touched you the most? You'll never expect this answer she gave. She interviewed a married couple where both the man and the wife were deaf and blind. They couldn't see each other, and they couldn't hear each other. And it's a married couple. Because Barbara Walters recognizes that to construct that interview properly, you got to go below the surface. And that's what she feels in this couple. Listen to this interview. One of the most amazing couples I ever interviewed, memorable, were Robert and Michelle Smithus, a married couple who were both blind and deaf. They are inspirational. Bob and Michelle, you have never actually seen each other. Bob, tell me what, you, what your wife looks like. First of all, she is petite and rather delicate. She has delicate bone structure. Now he's going to talk to the wife, Michelle. She's deaf and she's blind. But you want to be inspired? Listen to Barbara Walters going below the surface in an interview. Michelle, how did you meet Bob? In the hallway, I was walking very slowly. I was being careful. Here he was, walking. I did not see him, no, no, I did not even feel. I was, bang, <laughs> before I knew it, he cut me. <laughs> That's how we met. Michelle, do you ever say, why me? Mm. Or do you think this happened for a reason? Mm. No, I do not question it. 
I should say that I am rather happy for what I am able to do and for what I have. I am happy for whatever able, I'm able to do and what I have. This is a blind, deaf woman who collided with a man who then became her husband. This woman is amazing. Both Michelle and Barbara Walters. But it was not easy to break the ground and become the trailblazer. Listen to how it started. How difficult it was. How she was just driven to become what she became. And I would then go out and do certain stories. And... How did you become a television personality? The Today Show always had one female on the air called the Today Show Girl. She was usually a model or an actress. I was a writer on the Today Show. They had to have one female writer. She did the tea pouring, as I call it. She did the fashion shows. She did the celebrities. At one point, I was made a producer. I was the only female producer with six men. Oh, boy. And I would then go out and do certain stories. And when the Today Girl took a vacation, I appeared on the Today Show. And I was sent to Paris to cover the Paris fashion shows. <laughs> that was my first time that I can remember being on the air. Wow. Barbara is with me right now to give us a filmed report. Would you tell me, was this a very trying experience for you? Oh, Frank, it was awful. I mean, <laughs> first of all, every day I had to go and look at fashion shows. Mm. And then I had to have lunch at Maxime's and drink champagne. Mm. And then I had to smell all the perfume at Dior. Mm. I mean, it was so trying that I took absolutely the very last plane I could to get back here today. <laughs> now listen to how this happened. She was just not going to be denied. In 1964, I was hired to be on the air full-time, but not with the title co-host. I'm Hugh Downs. This is Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters and I. Barbara Walters and I. We continue now with Barbara Walters. I worked with Hugh until he left the program in 1971. This is the last time that the three of us will be working together. And I don't know how you sum up nine years of, of pleasure and of friendship. This is the only way I know. <laughs> After Hugh Downs left the show, Frank McGee became the anchor, and that changed everything. Good morning. I'm Frank McGee, and Barbara Walters is here. Barbara Walters, they don't say co-host. How outrageous is that? And this Frank McGee, listen to what he did. Frank McGee he was a very good newsman. He went to the head of the network and said that I could not ask the hard news questions. Oh. They all had to be done by him. And what they finally decided to do was that he could ask three questions and then I could come in and ask one. If I could yeah. do the interview outside of the studio, it was mine. Uh. So I started to look for interviews outside of the studio. Like Henry Kissinger. Mr. Secretary, this brings up one of the criticisms <laughs> about you today, and that is that people say Henry Kissinger deals in excessive secrecy. Once certain stereotypes develop, it is very difficult to deal with them. Frank McGee, you can have the studio. I'm going to go interview Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State. Can you imagine? This woman was not going to be denied. This morning, we mourn the death of our dear friend and our most respected colleague, Frank McGee. He died yesterday in a New York hospital after a four-year battle with bone cancer. When Frank McGee died, I became co-host. From then on, I think up to today, the women 
on the morning shows a co-host. That's a nice legacy to have. That's right, Barbara. You go, girl, as they say. You did it. You did it. Who did you inspire? Like everybody, including Dr. Clapper. How about Oprah Winfrey? Listen to Oprah Winfrey giving the credit to Barbara Walters. When I first started in television and I got my first audition, I had you in my head. When we sat down together for my first Barbara Walters interview, that was back in 1988, I was so nervous because Barbara Walters is coming to my house. I remembered seeing you on the Today Show and you always had your legs crossed so that this leg would, would be placed on this leg. And you always used to do this. The press has just been and I remember you looking up and looking down. Now, at the t time I auditioned, I had no idea. I was looking at questions. It, it, and so what I did was I'd look down and then I'd look up and I'd talk and then I'd look down. And there was nothing down there. And I got and I was hired. Mm. Barbara Walters inspired all of us because she could ask the tough questions. Longevity, accuracy, integrity. That's what she taught me. And that's what I do without having a lesson. Where in the world of sports do we see longevity, integrity, accuracy, the best to ever do it? Well, it's Vince Scully. Vince Scully, Sandy Koufax. What a treat it's going to be for you to hear. We're going to go back to 1965. But I want to leave you with this to think about before we come back from commercial. Who was Vince Scully's mentor? His name was Red Barber. And he told Vince Scully three things to be the best that you can be. One, never be a homer. Two, never listen to other announcers. Be yourself. Be uniquely you. Tell your stories, Vince Scully, as you see it. And number three, keep your opinions to yourself. Damn right. And that is the lesson for all of us whenever we speak to someone. Because technically, we all have to interview somebody in our lives. Wait till you hear the great Vince Scully. I can't wait to share it with you. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. Going on, it's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm too much scheidenfreuding. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Don't forget, we have to do some clapper vision. I want to do a clapper vision about Victor Oladipo, who's now having another operation on his torn quadriceps muscle. In 2019 in Indiana, what a gruesome sight that was on the court, watching his knee just buckle, grabbing right above his patella's kneecap. You knew he tore his quad through the TV screen. 
was interesting. Why is he now needed again? Same knee, same quad. It's a fascinating surgery, and I love doing them. And it really involves working on both the tendon and on the bone. Here's a clapper vision for you. You've got a boat. You put your boat on a trailer. That wide trailer with those two wheels and the axle. It's wider than the truck it's, that's carrying it. So in the front of the boat trailer, the steel that holds the frame that the boat is sitting on of the trailer goes from being wide to coming to form a junction with the, with the car, with the truck. And that little ball that sits on the back of the truck, that's your kneecap. That tiny little ball that's on the back of a truck that hauls a boat trailer, that tiny ball is the kneecap. It's your patella. That wide boat trailer is your quadriceps muscle, muscles. Quad means four. Sep means head, a four-headed muscle. Vastus medialis, vastus lateralis, vastus intermedialis, and the fourth muscle, the rectus femoris, which has the thickest tendon. attaches and anchors itself across the front of your hip joint. And it anchors not only from the bone, the anterior inferior spine of the pelvis. It anchors like every muscle from a bone. But there's a reflected head of that muscle that comes off the front of the hip capsule. So a lot of people come to me and say, Dr. Clapper, I have knee pain. And I feel their knee. And their knee is just fine. And if they meet the wrong doctor, they end up with knee surgery, believe it or not. Because they keep telling everybody their knee hurts. But the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. You better make sure you're in the hands of a doctor who knows that knee pain doesn't always come from your knee. It can come from that reflected head of the rectus femoris off the capsule, front capsule of the hip joint. People with a bad hip come to me all the time saying, my hip doesn't hurt, my knee hurts. And then you go and examine their hip and realize they have no motion in their hip joint. Ow, that hurts in my groin, Dr. Clapper, when you move my hip around. But I'm just seeing you for knee pain. Nope. So that quadricep, that wide set of muscles, like the bow trailer, comes together to meet at the quadriceps tendon, just like the bow trailer meets that ball in the back of the truck. So for me as a surgeon, when you rip the trailer off the ball of the back of the truck, you better be a good welder and understand how to reattach the trailer to the ball. You drill holes through the bone of the patella. Special stitches you have to learn as a surgeon that lock into the tendon and muscle so you can anchor it back to the bone so it doesn't rupture again. The skill of surgery to do it for 32 years, to do it for over 16,000 patients, it's just awesome. And here I am on the radio with you each and every Saturday morning. Blah, 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 blah. That's what I'm doing. But I have to look for mentors. Dr. Wilson, Dr. Ranawat, Dr. Insall, all these great Mount Rushmore surgeons who taught me. Larry Dorr, who just passed away, may he rest in peace, 
Dr. Frank Job, who taught me. These are all mentors in my life in the world of surgery. But who's a mentor for me to be on the radio? In sports, for me, it's Vin Scully. Let's listen to him interview Sandy Koufax. We're going way back now. We're going back to the 60s. Here's the fella who gave the Dodgers the championship, Sandy, in Los Angeles, when you pitched your 7 to nothing shutout. You were quoted as saying after the game, I feel 100 years old. So today, how do you feel? 101. 101. <laughs> I feel great, Vinny. I know I don't have to go out there anymore for about four months. <laughs> Sandy, it appeared from upstairs that your fastball was really your only pitch for quite some time. Yes, it was. I don't know what it was today. I didn't have the curveball at all, and I wasn't getting it over. And I just stayed with the fastball and tried to get it in pretty good spots. And when I got the lead, I tried to keep him from pulling the ball if I could. There's an art, obviously, to what Vin Scully is doing. He's giving the interviewee, Sandy Koufax, time to breathe. He's giving him time to answer the question he's just asked. Too many of these guys... Can't wait to hear their own voice and interrupt the person. I'm not interested in the interviewer. I'm interview. I'm interested in what Sandy Koufax has to say. When Jim Gilliam sat here in the ninth inning and watched you on television, he turned and said to me, he looks like a fighter who has been hit and is now fighting on instinct. Is that over-dramatizing, or were you that tired? No, I, I'll tell you, I, I feel like uh, I was a little bit more tired than the... Uh, in the last ball game I pitched here, and I know I was more tired uh, the day we won the pennant against Milwaukee, but uh, I think it was a lot hotter in Los Angeles, and uh, the cool weather uh, keeps you from tiring a little bit. I felt like uh, my fastball last three or four innings was as good or better than it was early in the ball game, which I really didn't expect uh, on two days rest. I figured by the end of the ball game I'd have to go to the curveball. Vince Scully outlines an observation that a colleague made Sandy Koufax says, actually, that's not true. Here's another. This is my favorite part of the interview. This is where Vin Scully says, you didn't shave. We noticed that you didn't shave. That means you weren't going to pitch because usually the guy with the beard is what, who, who pitches. I didn't even know this. But here's the problem. Both Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax showed up clean shaven. And Vin Scully goes, well... Then who's pitching? Who's got the beard? It's fascinating. Most veteran newspaper men around the ballpark were watching to see when you and Drysdale arrived, which of the two had already shaved because it's uh-huh. traditional that the pitcher with the beard is going to pitch. But you and Drysdale both came in unshaven. When did you find out you were going to pitch today? Well, I found out when we got here. That's why neither of us were shaved. <laughs> well, you didn't know until you got no, here. No, Now, tell me when you found out. Was it in front of the entire club? Yeah. Did the manager go over a what? Yeah, Walt had a meeting, and uh, he said that he thought he'd like to start the left-hander, and uh, he had a reason for it. He said, if I have to make a switch, I'd rather go left, right, left talking about Paranowski as his last man if he had to make two moves then start the right-hander and go left left you don't uh, you don't change their lineup any when you do that talk about painting a picture it's interesting to Vin Scully when did you find out was it privately with the manager or in front of the whole club this attention to detail the words I view as Chick Hearn called it this painting of picture with words that Vin Scully does, 
That's where Clapper Vision came from. He gets full credit for it. So let me take you now to 1965, Game 7 of the World Series. No, this is actually Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1965. I want you to listen to how Vince Scully tells you not only that it's September 19th or whatever it was, but he's also telling you exactly the time on the clock. You talk about painting a picture. Talk about an artist with words. Three times in his sensational career has Sandy Koufax walked out to the mound to pitch a fateful ninth where he turned in a no-hitter. But tonight, September the 9th, 1965, he made the toughest walk of his career, I'm sure, because through eight innings, he has pitched a perfect game. He has struck out 11. He has retired 24 consecutive batters. And the first man he will look at is catcher Chris Cruz, big right-hand hitter. Date and time. you got to hear more of this call of the perfect game by Vince Scully. Teaching me the art of interviewing, of being so observant. This is where the longevity comes from. It's due to the accuracy and the genuine interest in every single filament of what you're seeing with your eyes. We'll get into more of it coming up next. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. The number to call is 877-710-ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Sometimes you can call me Smokey. Sometimes you can call me Rocky. Start your weekend (laughs) off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Today, I want to be Tito, Dr. Tito Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Not interested in rumors. That's the Timex Social Club. And boy, is it nice to hear Kobe Bryant's voice on the promo. Tonight, don't miss the Hall of Fame induction. Every single day, we all think about him and cherish the time we had with him. He's the reason I decided to come to this station and be on the radio. I got asked to be on other stations. I don't want to. This is where I want to be because this is where Kobe played. He played for the Lakers, and the Lakers are on ESPN. And that was over 10 years ago. So keep playing that promo, Steve Paulette. It makes me happy, and it makes me sad all at the same time. But someone who makes me happy to listen to 
each and every second he's speaking. You can close your eyes and you're exactly where he wants to take you, is Vin Scully. So a no-hitter is when a pitcher in baseball doesn't allow any runs or hits. But did you know that you're still counted as a no-hitter if you still throw four balls and you walk the, the batter? Because he got to the base. He didn't score. It's a no-hitter. But within the elegance of baseball, there's a higher form of a no-hitter. And it's called a perfect game. Four years in a row, Sandy Koufax threw a no-hitter. It was a record at the time. But the fourth one, which is the one you're hearing now from September 9th, 1965, and Vin Scully is calling this last inning, which you're going to hear. Sandy Koufax is actually throwing a perfect game, meaning no walks. Nobody even got to first base, even with a walk. It's so rare, something to cherish. And let me remind you, as great as Sandy Koufax was, He's still alive. He's 85 years old. God bless him. So is Vin Scully. 93 years old. God bless him. But the struggle that Sandy Koufax had in the beginning of his career, were it not for two moments in his life, he would not be Sandy Koufax, the great pitcher that we remember. The first was a scout who recognized he was going through a terrible slump in the late 50s and told him, you have a, a hitch in your windup. You take the ball so far back, you actually lose sight of the catcher mitt for a moment. That's why you're having difficulty. Don't take the ball that far back. I think the norm, the the uh, the scout's name was Kenny. I'll have to get his real name, Kenny Martin or something like that. And then there was a second time, a pitcher named Norm, no, catcher named Norm Sherry in 1961. Sandy Koufax was also ready to quit. He just was in a slump. He could not do it. And the catcher, Norm Sherry, said, you know what? Don't pitch so fast. Don't pitch so hard. Slow it down a little bit. You'll be more accurate. And Sandy Koufax listened to him. And four years later, after being told that, just like Barbara Walters being told, we're not going to call you a co-host. You're going to only be allowed to interview people that are outside the studio. But you got to have that drive to keep going. Well, Sandy Koufax had that drive to keep going. And four years later, he's pitching not only a no-hitter, a perfect game, but listen to the clapper visions, if you will, where you using words to paint a picture. The man I learned it from, the Dr. Ranawat for me in the world of interviewing, Vin Scully. Fly to center, grounded to short. Dick Trususki is now at second base, and Koufax ready and delivers. Curve ball for a strike. Oh, and one to count to Chris Cruz. 
Out on deck to pinch hit is one of the men we mentioned earlier as a possible Joey Amalfitano. Mm, listen to how he sets the stage. Here's the strike one pitch to Krug. Fastball swung on and missed. Strike two. And you can almost taste the pressure now. Koufax lifted his cap, ran his fingers through his black hair, then pulled the cap back down, fussing at the bill. Krug must feel it too as he backs out, heaves a sigh, took off his helmet, put it back on, and steps back up to the plate. Who were the players out there on the field? Listen to him name each and every one of them. The Dodgers defensively. In this spine-tingling moment, Sandy Koufax and Jeff Torboy. The boys who will try and stop anything hit their way. Wes Parker, Dick Trasuski, Maury Wills, and John Kennedy. The outfield of Lou Johnson, Willie Davis, and Ron Fairley. And there's a 29,000 people in the ballpark and a million butterflies. <laughs> a million butterflies. All in the stomach of Sandy Koufax. That mound must be the loneliest place in the world. And Koufax, with a new ball, takes a hitch at his belt and walks behind the mound. I would think that the mound at Dodger Stadium right now is the loneliest place in the world. Looks in to get his sign. 0-2 to Amalfitano. The strike-two pitch to Joe. Fastball swung on and missed. Strike three. He is one out away from the promised land. And Harvey Keene is coming up. Harvey Keene, remember that name. This is the one guy who can ruin it all. He's the last batter. He gets him out. And it's a perfect game. Listen to how carefully Vin Scully tells us the date, September 9th, 1965. The time, 9.44 p.m. I love it. So Harvey Keene is batting for Bob Henley. The time on the scoreboard is 9.44. The date, September the 9th, 1965. And Koufax working on veteran Harvey Keene. Sandy into his windup and the pitch, a fastball for a strike. He has struck out, by the way, five consecutive batters. And that's gone unnoticed. And now you're about to hear unnoticed by another interviewer announcer that Sandy Koufax's hat flew off. But listen to how Vin Scully interprets it so subtly, the difference between throwing a baseball versus the elegance of pitching a baseball. It's on next level. Sandy ready in the strike one pitch. Very high, and he lost his hat. He really forced that one. That's only the second time tonight where I have had the feeling that Sandy threw instead of pitched, trying to get that little extra. And that time, he tried so hard, his hat fell off. He took an extremely long stride to the plate, and Torborg had to go up to get it. One and one to Harvey Keene. This is a craft. This is a mastery of using words. This next, I love this line. This is probably my favorite line of the whole calling of the game. You can't blame a man. Listen to him say that. One and one to Harvey Keene. Now he's ready. Fastball high, ball two. You can't blame a man. 
Hopper pushing just a little bit now. Sandy backs off, mops his forehead, runs his left index finger along his forehead, dries it off on his left pants leg. All the while, Keen just waiting. Now Sandy looks in. Into his windup and the 2-1 pitch to Keen. Swung on and missed. Strike two. There's more than a baseball game going on here. It's Vin Scully going beneath the skin of Sandy Koufax, deep beyond the uniform, into his heart, telling us what's in his heart, the heart of a champion. Nobody could describe that better than Vin Scully. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. Notice how long he stays quiet. Vince Scully knows, like Miles Davis, mastered the silence between the notes on the horn. That was Miles Davis' mastery in jazz. The silence in using it, that is Vince Scully's gift. How to just let it breathe, let the crowd noise tell the story. On the scoreboard in right field, it is 9.46 p.m. in the city of the Angels, Los Angeles, California. And a crowd of 29,139. Just sitting in to see the only pitcher in baseball history to hurl four no-hit, no-run games. And here he's about to sum up the life and career of Sandy Koufax, which he plays a whole nother year. He plays 1966. But in 1965, you can hear Vince Scully putting in perspective his life. He has done it four straight years, and now he capped it on his fourth no-hitter. He made it a perfect game. And Sandy Koufax, whose name will always remind you of strikeouts, did it with a flourish. He struck out the last six consecutive batters. So when he wrote his name in capital letters in the record books, that K stands out even more than the O-U-F-A-X. And this is what it sounds like when the master actually speaks to that interviewee to sum things up. Listen how he uses silence. Let's see, you've had four no-hitters, a perfect game, you have struck out 18, you have a World Series record of 15 in one game. Where does this one fit in as far as thrills are concerned? I don't know, Vinny. Uh, this has got to be as high as any of them. This whole year is a thrill. Uh, we were a ball club that everybody said that it was going to finish fifth, and we lost Tommy Davis. They thought we were going to finish eighth. And we went on to win a pennant, and uh, everybody did such a great job. Uh, Lou Johnson, who hit the home run today, uh, he came up when Tommy got hurt and did a great job and carried us for the first 10 days to two weeks he was here. And uh, I think that got us over the hump. Uh, without uh, Lou coming up and doing that great job right then, I think uh, the whole ball club probably would have sagged a little bit. Sandy, thank you so very much. And now go on back and sit down and relax a little while. Thank you, Vinny. Vinny, because of you, we can relax a little bit. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number's 877-710-ESPN. But I got to tell you, what I found driving back 
from Joshua Tree. I stopped at Hadley's and I had the greatest, oh my God, it's a reason to drive to Palm Springs just to go to Hadley's to experience the greatest of something. And I'll tell you what that something is. It includes chocolate, obviously, but you're going to understand why you got to get it at Hadley's because it's what's inside the chocolate that makes that trip worth it. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Look at all these rumors surrounding me every day. I just need some time, some time to get away from, from all these rumors. I can't take it no more. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar sinai head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip. Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Magandan umaga. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Cells are just tiny people. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors, the great Sixto Rodriguez. What a story that is. I try to think about why why I miss Kobe so much. Because it was more more than just the athletic aspects of what he meant. So I had this week off. Monday, Tuesday, I went to Joshua Tree. I have to tell you all about it, and I have to tell you what to get at Hadley's. I'll tell you now. I am a sucker for chocolate-covered raisins. But at Hadley's, they don't just have a raisin. They have golden raisins. They have flaming red raisins. They have something called a Thompson raisin. There's like, it's not just a raisin. They've got categories of raisins. Forget about all the other dried fruit. They have dried strawberries. I had some of those. Dried everything. Oh, Michael Thompson raisin. <laughs> a chocolate-covered raisin. <laughs> oh, I'm on the air right now, Michael Thompson. Do you know that? <laughs> oh, it's so great to see you, Michael Thompson. Okay, thank you. You look 18. We have to turn his mic on so we can hear what he's saying. It's so nice to see you, Michael Thompson. But I'm just going on about what I learned yesterday 
I was surfing yesterday. I had the week off. And I was, after surfing, I always get together with my buddies, just like you did in the locker room after a game, yeah. to try to break down what just happened during that game. Uh-huh. How and big were the waves? The waves were great. They were big. They were over my head. And I just had for two hours, just my arms wanted to fall off. So after the session, uh-huh. I'm in the parking lot with my buddies talking about the day. And I don't know what came over me, but I said to them, Lance, Ed, Bobby, what is your favorite part of surfing? Is it, is it seeing the wave on the horizon? Is it paddling for the wave, the exercise? Is it the moment when God takes over and lets you pick your arms up and you've caught the wave? Is it then riding down the face of the wave getting to the bottom, turning up to continue to ride. If you break it down, when is your favorite part of surfing? And the other three guys in the parking lot, I was the fourth, they each told me different parts of the athletic aspect. One of them said, I love going down the face of the wave. I love cutting back. All these athletic aspects of surfing. I, I can't believe it's exercise because it feels so good. Probably how you feel about basketball. Like, sure. you can't believe it's exercise, and yet it is. But that's when I realized I was different. And this is the Kobe moment that I had. I said to them, I appreciate the athletic aspects of surfing, like you guys do. But my favorite part is the spiritual part. My favorite part is actually when I'm working my arms so hard to catch it. And that moment when God, whether you believe in God or not, that's up to you. But whatever's creating that energy that's in the water, that literally I feel like taps me on the shoulder and says, Robbie, you can stop now. Pick your hands up. I got you. It's the spiritual aspect of surfing that really... I connect with that energy. Kobe Bryant, everybody wants to talk about where he rates compared to all these other players in different eras, which is a ridiculous argument. But for me, as a fan, not you, Michael Thompson, who really can appreciate way beyond the rest of us, but he meant so much to people like me, a fan, because of the spiritual aspect of who he was the heart that he represented, whatever you do to do it to the best of your ability with the love of the game, it was the spiritual aspect of Kobe Bryant that I think I miss the most. And the shots, the shooting, the two free throws with a completely torn Achilles tendon, watching Mario Chalmers rupture his Achilles tendon to a face plant and two teammates had to carry him off the court. Kobe Bryant, unassisted by anybody, walked to the free throw line and made those two shots. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. How hard was that to do? I can tell you, Michael. simple walk. To simply walk. Mario Chalmers needed two people to help and no uh, disrespect to Mario Chalmers. That's what happens to you when you rupture your Achilles tendon. To be able to compartmentalize and get up on your own and walk and then 
sink the free throw. You know what it's like to shoot from the free throw line. You need your legs. People always, it's like a magician. Everybody looks at your hands when you shoot a basketball. You know full well it's your legs that allow you to shoot a basketball. And he's missing a leg. Yeah. Remember that ad campaign? You want to be like Mike? You want to be like Michael Jordan? Mm -hmm. For me, God bless Michael Jordan. And I don't even want to disrespect him. How could you not? He's the greatest. But for this town, when when Dr. Buss said he bought the Lakers and his goal was to make people, no matter where you went in the world, when you say, where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. That they would next say, oh, that's where the Lakers play. And he succeeded in that. Well, it's even more than that. That's where Kobe Bryant played. And so tonight, at first I was like mad that, why are they doing this? He's not here. He can't accept the award. It's ridiculous. But I think we all need it. We all need it to happen. This so, should have happened. This, this ceremony, this, these Hall of Fame ceremonies are archaic. Some guys need five years to figure out if they belong in the Hall of Fame. But I don't understand why all professional sports don't do what the NHL did for Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky retired, and a year later they put him in the Hall. There's usually a three-year wait Hmm. to put people in the Hall of Fame in the NHL, but he was so great. They said, three-year wait? What are we waiting for? He's so great. Let's put him in the Hall immediately. Legends like Kobe and Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett, Kareem, you all know who the legends are, LeBron. Why should LeBron have to wait five years after he retires to go into the Hall of Fame? As soon as he retires, put him in a month later. If that's what it takes. Correct. So the, the waiting period is ridiculous. For all the sports, when the Willie Mazes and the Hank Aarons retire, why should they have to wait five years? That's ridiculous. Kobe would have been alive and been able to enjoy this moment if they would have put him in immediately after he retired. Michael Thompson, can I take advantage of the fact that you're sitting across from me right now? Well, that's that why I love I'm here you to bring some knowledge to the show. I want to play a soundbite, and I don't. You're allowed to be politically correct. And today's show, the topic, is all about the art of of talking to people, the art of the interview. Barbara Walters inspired Oprah Winfrey because she could ask tough questions. Vince Scully painting pictures with words, how to describe things. That's what today's show is. But I want to play a soundbite that Mike Greenberg had, and I heard it on the morning show, and I want your reaction. So Steve Paulette says I have to take a break. So we'll pay some bills. We'll come back. We're talking to the great Michael Thompson in studio. As I say in orthopedics, hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> Listen, I, I, used to, I used to say Dave to Dave Miller, I know a lot about the hip, but not about the hop. <laughs> All right, we're talking to the great Michael Thompson here on the Weekend Warriors Show. What a special day it is on 710 ESPN. It's good to be king, right, King James? Absolutely. And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. I love it. Be treated like medical royalty with Clapper Vision. Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.